0: Psalm 33, four says, The word of the Lord is right, and his work is trustworthy. Amen? <laughs> Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful that we can come together this morning for this time of worship. And Lord, as we're gathered here, we know there'll probably be some storms rolling and all kinds of things, but most of us have had a lot of storms going on in life this week, and I pray this morning, Lord, that we can just have that calm in the midst of that storm because of our relationship with you. Today we're here to celebrate Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good, morning. good to see you today. The rain held off till you came in. It's going to hold off till you, till you get the opportunity to go home, too. That's good. Maybe not. Anyway, we're here to lift up the Lord together. Amen. Amen. We're glad that you've chosen to do that with us today. It's a beautiful morning to do this. And today, as we lift up Jesus, I hope that you can just lift him up with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. This morning, please make sure you fill out your connection card. And for those who are watching us online, we'd really appreciate if you do the same thing so that we can keep a connection with you. So at this time, the praise team is going to continue leading us in song. So you can go ahead and be seated if you'd like, or you can stand if you want. It's up to you. <laughs> That's appropriate. Where are they? <laughs> I don't know. I was kind of bummed out when we went on the trail yesterday. I was looking for more mud. Little Isla was riding with me and she's like, where's the mud? I'm like, I don't know. My truck likes to find mud. But we had a good time. Well last week we began the series in the book of James and I said I love James, James because it's so practical and it's very straightforward. You don't need to read a bunch of commentaries to try to figure out what's going on. I mean it's just it just lays it right out there. And last week we began this series with the message on living out the message. And really the next four messages in one way or another kind of kind of play that out. But what happens in our life many times is we have a tendency to overlook areas of weakness in our faith. We, uh, areas where uh, particularly if that area fits in with society. Does that make sense? So if society's doing something and our faith says we shouldn't do it, but yet we're doing it anyway, and it matches what society says we should do, a lot of times we don't really go at it very hard because it's easier to swim with the current. Well, have you noticed in your own life that there's inconsistencies in your faith that you really don't give a lot of thought to, a lot of, pay a lot of attention to? I mean, we understand the big ones, you know, we're not supposed to go out and murder people, steal things, adultery, there, those things we know. But there's other inconsistencies in our walk that are much more subtle. On the surface, they don't seem to cause a lot of harm. They usually don't get a lot of attention. James, of all people, when he's writing this, would not write something that wasn't a problem. In other words, he wouldn't just think, well, hypothetically in life, you know, like a great philosopher, I'm going to sit back and think about things that could possibly happen. No, he he hits the nail right on the head. He deals with things that are a problem. And so James kind of moves from this message last week on faith and action to this issue that we're going to cover today, the teachings on prejudice, uh, some versions call it favoritism, uh, but uh, like the New English translation, I think translates the word and catches it properly, prejudice. Now, prejudice is nothing new. It has happened pretty much since we've been on the planet, whether racial prejudice, whether it, within the family, there's, it's been there. And really, one would think that of all people, Christians would not struggle with this issue. In other words, we understand that God created everyone, Right. Even people we may not like. Yeah, okay, yeah, he did, he did. I had to convince myself of that sometimes. Even people we may not like, maybe people we don't get along with, people that don't like us, God still created them. But the thing is, sometimes because of that, we have a hard time remembering what God teaches us. Throughout history, the issue that we're covering today, the issue of prejudice has existed in various forms. As I said, from favoritism within a family, You know, uh, I always tell my grandchildren, you're my favorite oldest grandson, you're my favorite youngest grandson, you're my favorite granddaughter. Well, I've only got three of those, so they kind of figured that out a long time ago. But uh, uh, we've seen this in families sometimes where kids feel like they have to compete for mom and dad's love and attention. Joseph, his brothers hated him because it's pretty obvious dad really liked Joseph. Now, I was sharing with a person the other day who's got brothers. I said, realize this, your dad favors you because you're the daughter. But anyway... Uh, we have Jacob and Esau. Uh, we've seen discrimination based on economic divisions and sometimes just flat out racism. Somebody's a color that we don't think is cool, so we will discriminate against them. Racism, by the way, was not invented in America. Many people in, today in our, in our country think, oh, it was all invented here. No, it wasn't. It was not. It's existed since almost the fall, not too long after that. The inc- as incredible as this may sound though, professing christians took part in things like the injustice of slavery and that's just hard for me to imagine and even when when paul was writing read the book of philemon it's about a runaway slave and you would think paul's saying this is wrong what are you doing onesimus you shouldn't you shouldn't be doing this but yet it's there and there are people today professing christians who struggle with prejudice in one form or another the dictionary defines prejudice as an, unfavored, an unfavorable opinion or feeling formed beforehand without knowledge thought or reason and when you think about it that's a great definition because many times our prejudice are because of our ignorance i didn't say stupidity ignorance we don't know people maybe when it comes from a racial issue We may not know people from India. We may not know people from Afghanistan. We may not know people from these. And so we form opinions based on things we don't know. Now, biblically, the flavor of the word is very close to the same thing. It would include showing favoritism, which includes treating one person better than another or one group better than another, giving favor at the expense of another group because you're so focused on this one you don't don't pay attention. So this morning, the big idea to the message is this, that true religion or faith, which I like better, does not show prejudice toward others. It is not what we're called to do. And we're going to see three reasons why in James uh, chapter 2. We're going to begin in verses 1 through 4 this morning as we look for these reasons why there should be no room for those who call call themselves by the name of Jesus for prejudice in their life. So let's begin with James chapter 1, verses 1 through uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says this. My brothers and sisters, do not show prejudice if you possess faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. If someone comes into your assembly wearing a gold ring, uh-oh, and fine clothing, oh my, and a poor person enters wearing filthy clothing, do you pay attention to the one who's finely dressed and say, sit here in the good place. Where is that in church, by the way? It's it's probably not the front row. I'm not sure. Um, sit here in the good place. And to the poor person, you say, stand over there, sit on the floor. If so, you have not made distinction, excuse me, if so, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? So the first reason that prejudice, and, and these aren't in a particular order, I'm just following the path of the message, that prejudice is wrong is prejudice dishonors other people. Prejudice dishonors other people. James dives right into the problem at hand in verse one. He says that if you possess faith in Jesus, you are not to be prejudiced toward other people. You are not to give other people preferential treatment. You are not to form opinions and judgments on other people or other people groups, particularly when you know nothing about them. We are to see people the way Jesus sees them. Jesus, in the, in the scripture, we're told there's no Jew, no Gentile, slave or Scythian. We're all the same in him. Everyone. And he doesn't say, well, you know, Jesus doesn't like this particular nation or Jesus doesn't like this particular race. Jesus doesn't like these particular people. That's really f- the furthest thing from the truth. But the command is not to practice prejudice because our faith is rooted in Jesus. And I know you know, uh, I've even when I first became a Christian, I come across some Christians who would justify, for instance, things like interracial marriage. They say, "Well, the Bible says you're not supposed to do that." Yeah, read your Old Testament, get the context. It was it was religious issues. It wasn't because one person was black, and one person was purple, or white. It didn't matter. That wasn't the issue. And so, even in even early in my faith, I came across people that were justifying, justifying being prejudiced, justifying racism as a Christian. There's no room for that. James just nails it right off the bat and says, if you have faith in Jesus, you don't act this way. If you have faith in Jesus, you don't think this way. I remember in one church I serve, <clears throat> I got into a discussion with one of the deacons, and he said something about, would you want, I'm going to be very blunt here, would you want your daughter wearing a black man? I'm like, I don't really care. I just, I'd rather marry a black Christian than a white heathen any day of the week. And the guy just kind of looked at me. See, as Christians, it shouldn't matter what color of the person is my daughter brings home. It's who they are. It's not their skin color. Or it's not, well, I don't like this people group. You know, I know people have fought in wars, and it's so hard sometimes, I'm sure, when you've faced somebody from a different nation, and you fought with, you fought, fought them. They killed your friends, not that person, but that group. It would be so hard, admittedly, not to have prejudice toward them. But see, as Christians, we're called not to. Was Jesus prejudice? When those Jews beat him to death and hung him on a cross, and he said, I hate the Jews. There are Christians today that will promote hate against the Jews. That's prejudice, folks. We're not to do that. We are told that if we possess our faith in Jesus, we are to listen to this command. Now, in the direct context, He's speaking of brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking about those coming into the assembly. It doesn't exclude anybody else, so there's not an out on this. But the thing is, the church from the very beginning, soon as the church got going in the book of Acts, what was one thing they struggled with? Prejudice. Jew, Gentile. And I don't know how much of it came from the Gentiles, because we weren't there, but we see a lot of it coming from the Jewish Christians. Hey, you got to become a Jew before you become a Christian. Now, I think some of that was because they genuinely felt, because they didn't know any better. They felt like, hey, we've been God's chosen people, rightfully so, and this is what we had to do. So before you can take this big step to Jesus, this is what you need to do. And I'm, I'm convinced a lot of that was, was out of just ignorance, not, not malice. But there were some of it was out of malice also. But the church struggled with that. But the other thing the church struggled with, rich versus Poor. Now, I'm not justifying it, okay, but I'm explaining the background. Today, we have poor, we have extreme poverty, we have poor people, we have middle class that has a whole, you know, from lower middle class to upper middle class, we have rich, we have wealthy, and then we have people like Bill Gates. (laughs) Uh, We got a whole gamut, but in that society, you either were a have or a have not. There really wasn't much in between. And so, When somebody would come into the church, in a way, I'm not justifying, but in a way, I kind of understand why they'd be, oh man, here comes somebody, this rich, it'd be like if a movie star started coming to church or whatever, somebody of great wealth, we would have to make sure that we don't give them preferential treatment because of who they are. But inside of us, we'd be like, man, if if I can get, I don't know, Tom Cruise to get rid of Scientology and come into church, and the (laughs) ladies would like it for one thing, but... And man, he can—he can, in his movies, he could talk about First Christian Church in his, in his next Mission Impossible movie. I mean, it would be awesome. He could talk about before he whacks somebody, you know, that needs it. He could say, you need, you, need, you need Jesus, you know. I mean, he could have a great influence. And so I understand why the temptation is there. By the way, this is why I stay out of your uh, all's giving in church. I don't want to have that pressure of thinking, wow, this person has a lot of money. This one doesn't. So this person, I don't want that temptation. I don't want to deal with that. But see, the term prejudice or partiality in some versions comes from the Greek word that's for face. And prejudice, or fa- or prejudice and favoritism is judging others based on their appearance, that is, at face value. The Hebrew idiom means to lift up the face, that is, to show favor. And this is what James is talking about here. Partiality is judging, or rate of prejudice is judging Appearance instead of the heart. And that's directly contrary to the heart of God. God doesn't look at people and say, Well, you look like this, or you're from here, so therefore you're special. Now, admittedly, Jews were chosen people, different that's a little different scenario. But see, we have to make sure that when we are dealing with people, we don't come into it thinking, well, you're from this area, so therefore I've got these prejudices. Deuteronomy chapter seven, or chapter 10 says this, For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awesome God who is unbiased and takes no bribe, who justly treats the orphan and the widow, and who loves resident foreigners and gives them food and clothing. So this is nothing new. This is even back into the Old Testament. Having faith in Jesus means that we emulate God. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus talks on this. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and to regain the the, sight, and and the the regaining of sight to the blind, and set those free who were oppressed. But see, in this situation that James is dealing with, they were doing quite the opposite. James saw them with his own eyes giving them preferential treatment. And this insidious form of dealing with people dishonors the people who God loves. Leviticus 19, you must not deal unjustly in judgment. You must neither show partiality to the poor or honor the rich. Boy, wouldn't that be nice if that was happening? You must judge your fellow citizen fairly (sighs) and see We won't judge people or treat people the way we're supposed to if we're prejudiced toward them. We might not even talk to them about Jesus. We might not think they're worth our time, but yet we can't go that way. Have you ever had somebody show prejudice against you? I mean, most of us in here, maybe on one form, I mean, you know, from the racial standpoint, most of us in here in this service are white. Have you ever had people crawl across the street when they saw you walking down the street? Have you ever had the police just pull you over because you were in the wrong neighborhood in the wrong vehicle? I mean, that's got a sting. Have you had people move out of your neighborhood because you moved in? I know people that this happened to. That's rough. It's not a good feeling. We don't deal with a lot of that probably, but people do. When we're prejudiced against anyone, you know what we're doing? We are guilty of judging them by the world's standards and not by God's and not by God's. The phrase discriminate, uh, prejudice, and so on, means, it means, dis, uh, it points to a division, it points to division also. Not only within the church, but a division of heart. So these, this type of activity divides the church, as it was doing in the early church, and it divides our hearts, because we're not looking at people the way God says we are dishonoring them. Favoritism during Jesus' day was very common practice. Even the disciples, when you go into Mark chapter 10, verses 35 and following, they wanted preferential treatment. Hey, who's going to sit at your right hand? Who's going to sit at your left? And the Pharisees, man, they, they, boy, they strutted down that street and people just bowed down to those folks. See, imagine being the person, though, who gets passed by in church because people treat you like you're nothing, because you don't have the fine stuff, because you don't have the goods. I can't imagine being treated that way. Verse 6 reminds us that showing prejudice dishonors the one we who oppress. And this is into verse 6, which we'll cover in a minute. But it says, but you have dishonored the poor. You are not the rich oppressing you and dragging you into courts. And so James is saying when you treat people this way in this particular context, you're dishonoring the poor. So if I treat somebody who's black, who's Asian, who's Indian, who's Japanese, whatever the race is, and I treat them... With prejudice, what am I doing? Am I dishonoring them? Did God dishonor them? No, no. If I'm treating somebody who's rich better than I treat somebody who's poor, am I honoring that person or dishonoring? I'm dishonoring them. Would God dishonor them because they don't have a lot of material stuff? No, neither are we. We are not to dishonor people because God doesn't do it himself. That person that you show prejudice toward, Jesus died for. I think that's a pretty big deal. So just remember when you start feeling prejudice, and and I understand sometimes why that happens, but we have to root it out. It has to be pulled out. That is a poisonous root in your life, and it needs to be taken care of. Let's look at verses five through nine. My dear brothers and sisters, now I love the way James does this because he's really putting some velvet over the hammer. (laughs) And he says this My dear brothers and sisters, Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Are not the rich oppressing you and dragging you into courts? Do they not blaspheme the good name of the the one you belong to? If you fulfill the royal law as expressed in Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show prejudice, you are committing sin, and you are convicted by the law as violators." So here's a second reason prejudice is, is wrong. It dishonors God. If you're paying close attention to the first point, this point really dovetails right into it. The early church had so many poor people in it, it was so tempting to pay, to pay special attention to somebody who wasn't because of the benefits. Now that, then you have to ask the question, are you really honoring that person with wealth or are you just honoring what they have? You know, I've always said, I've talked to some, you know, people before about this. If you're super wealthy, how do you know if the people around you are really your friends? I've said this before. You know, professional athletes, some of them that have grown up in horrific, almost just horrific circumstances. I mean, some of them around gang violence and everything. And then when they become rich, you know, because of their athletics, who do they hang out with? The same people. You know why? Because those folks were there when they had nothing, and they feel like they can trust them that's not always true as far as being able to trust them, but they feel that way. And so if you're a person with great means, you always have to ask yourself, well, do they want to be with me because of what I've got or who I am? I said this about beautiful girls. I I said, you guys have to make sure you understand, is a guy with you because of what you've got or who you are? Because if you give a guy what you got, you're never going to know if he loves you for who you are in the short term. Well, the early church was struggling with this. And when they did this, they were judging people by God's standards. See, the world embraces wealth, fame, good looks, and shortness. <laughs> all right. Tall people that are good looking, that's just, this is wrong. I'm prejudiced against that. But anyway. The world looks at the external more than they look at the internal. Remember when David was chosen to be king? Was he the first one? The prophet said, oh, this is the man. Nope. Oh, man, look at this one. Woo, look at him. Look at this one. God said, dude, you've you got it wrong. You're judging on the exterior. I judge the heart. We need to remember that Galatians 3.28 says that we are all one in Christ when we belong to him in the context of the church body. We have wrong intentions and we show preferences to who we're going to try to reach for the gospel. We need to see people as Jesus sees them. Jesus reached out to all. He even went to the Samaritans. Ugh. Boy, they're like, you're talking to those. He went to sinners and tax collectors. That one cracks me up always because i got a friend of mine who, who they just moved. He works for the IRS now. But anyway, he, he reached this. He reached out to all these people, the people that society thought were garbage that they would spit on if they could get away with it. Jesus reached out to them, didn't he? Who are the people you figuratively spit on? That you're like, no way on earth would I share the gospel with that person. That's prejudice, folks. We are a family. And when there's preferential treatment in the family, it causes all kinds of trouble. Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers. Uh, Maybe you've been in a family where your brother or sister was was the one that everybody bowed down to. Or sometimes your brother or sister was the black sheep that got all the attention because they were the black sheep. And it's resentful. The rich, the, the, uh, the uh, parable of the, uh, I just blanked out, the uh, prodigal son, the brother who stayed home. Man, do you blame him for being upset? I don't. I'm not saying it's right, but I get it. <laughs> when we show prejudice, we hurt ourselves because we become judges with evil motives. And that is something we do not want to become. We are taking the place of God when we show prejudice because we are rejecting the one who God wants to accept. God says, I want this person. I'm saying, I don't. And if I don't, you don't. We are stepping in God's place. That dishonors God. Jesus' message was that um, when 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 his followers were ordinary people who were locked in their position in lives, it was almost like a caste system like they have in India. But Jesus' message to these folks was, this isn't the only life there is. There's more to it. He told them that they would have a great reward waiting them for them in heaven when they followed him. Sometimes when we get well off financially, it's easy to forget God and not rely on him. And Jesus, or excuse me, James said, you know, these people that you're worshiping and adoring, they're dragging you into court. They're taking advantage of the advantages they have in the legal system to defeat you in the courts. But see, when we don't, we're called to treat everybody equally, because when we don't, we dishonor God because we take God's place, and we try to tell God who's saved and who's not, who's worthy and who's not. See, the God who decides who gets to hear the message of salvation, we become the God that determines how others get treated in the body of Christ. And verse 6, once again, reminds us that showing prejudice dishonors the ones that we oppress some people would rationalize their preferential treatment by saying, well, they're fulfilling God's law to love your neighbor as yourself. And they narrow that scope of what their neighbor is. Well, my neighbor's that rich dude. Jesus will have none of that. Our neighbors are more than just the people we know. And Jesus taught that over and over and over again. James says in plain language that when we show prejudice, we are committing sin. The early church was not carrying out the mission that Jesus gave them. Remember in Acts 1, Jesus told the hey, get out there and take the gospel to all the world. And they're like, nope. Not doing that because there's some nasty Gentiles out there and some stinking Samaritans that we don't want to even walk on their filthy turf. Well, Jesus, uh, God fixed that, didn't he? It's called persecution. <laughs> Got them out of Jerusalem. Kind of changed their tune. But see, they felt that Jesus was a Jew, therefore the gospel was for the Jews. And it wasn't until the stoning of Stephen that they decided, and the persecution that followed, that, like, you know, we probably ought to get out of Jerusalem and do what God told us to do. It took Paul later and later on Peter in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, to take the gospel to all nations. Peter discovered that there's no prejudice from God, that he doesn't favor one people over another. When we show prejudice, we are dishonoring God. Let's look at verses 10 through 13. For the one who obeys the whole law that fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If, now if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you become a violator of the law. Speak and act as those who will be judged by the law that gives freedom. For judgment is merciless for the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. The last reason prejudice is insidious and horrible is that it dishonors you. So it has an effect on you. See, in the Old Testament law, and James goes here, now some people have misunderstood this and say, well, look, James is a legalist. He's going back to law. No, he's going from a lesser to a greater argument. Okay, you ever done that? Lesser to greater. And so what he's saying here is, listen, you guys know, because you're well-versed in this under the law, that if you got all these laws, but if you break one, one time, you're guilty of it all. And by the way, that's why we had the Old Testament to show us that we can't do it on our own. And that's the point that he's making here. He says, in the law, you were expected to do things. But when you broke one of them, you were guilty of it all. So what James is saying is, oh, by the way, we are judged, as the actual term he uses, is we are, we are to speak and act as those who will be judged by the law that gives freedom. So he's going from the Old Testament law, the lesser to Jesus, the gospel, the greater. And he says if the penalty in the Old Testament was for failure to keep one point of law was you're guilty of all, we're held to a higher standard than we were under the law. And we have God's grace and all this, we understand that. But ultimately, when Jesus, or excuse me, when James says, when you violate this law, you're, you committed sin, this is actually more egregious than even what happened in the Old Testament. Because the, law, the Old Testament law was not on the same level, it was lesser than the New Testament. And so if one violation made you guilty, one of us as a, Christ, as a Christian, I can say, well, you know, I tithe, I pray, I don't cheat on my wife, I, don't, I keep the other commandments to the best of my ability, I do this, I do that. But if I'm prejudiced, if I have prejudice against people, i got a problem. I can't just overlook it. I can't rationalize it. I can't excuse, well, I fought in the war against XYZ people. Yes, you did. But you're not fighting the people you see now. And so we have to understand that when we come to this point where we try to rationalize our sin, what we're doing is we're saying it doesn't matter. And if it doesn't matter, James would not write about it. And if it doesn't matter, it, it wouldn't matter at that point, but it does. We dishonor ourselves because what we do is we start acting like those who aren't saved. And, we can, and that's not the way we're called to be. We should judge, if you will. And by the way, we can, be, we can judge the way things happen because in the passage I'm going to share with you that everybody that did not even read a Bible knows, do not judge so you will not be judged, for by the standard you judge, you will be judged, and the measure you use will be be the measure you receive. Now, most people just stop at verse 1. You're judging me. God says you can't do that. You can judge actions. Now, I can't say you're going to hell because you're a horrible person, but I can say this path you're on is not a good path. But what about verse 2? By the standard you judge, he's saying you're going to, you will be judged. The measure that you use, we measure it against you. And then later on in that same chapter, a few verses down, he says, oh, by the way, don't cast your pearls before swine. How can you do that if you're not making an evaluation or a judgment? So what's being criticized here is hypocritical judgment. What's saying is, I'm a thief, and you, you're a liar, so you're worse than I am. It doesn't work that way. And think about it. Do you want to be judged harshly? Do you want to be judged harshly? Do you want to go by the letter and the tooth of the law when you're when you're standing before God? See, to James, the true purpose of the law is not to chain evildoers, but it's to set people free. Because we have the law of freedom, the law of Christ gives us freedom from sin. It also sets us free from selfishness. We don't have to live that way. It gives us freedom from fawning over the rich or fawning or discriminating against other people. It frees us from the oppression of of anybody. And it turns trials into joy, although the trials aren't joyful at the moment, but they can be joyful in the end. It frees one to love the unlovable by the world's standards. See, you're told certain people you can't love. You're free in Christ to love them. You're told that when somebody mistreats you, you have to hate them. You're supposed to get back at them. But the freedom of the gospel says, no, you don't. You can love them. You don't have to get back with them. If there's any retribution, God will deal with that. But you have freedom. It frees us from the constant competition and self-promotion that society grants to us. We don't have to do that stuff. We have freedom in Christ. Verse 13 points out that if if we want to be judged uh, with mercy, gosh, you ever get a word just doesn't come out? I had that last week too. It's my old hymers or whatever, but anyway, we have to do the same. If I want mercy shown to me, I've got to show mercy to other people. And me being prejudiced is not merciful. Point blank, it's not merciful. It's sin. And it dishonors me. You know, favoritism can seem so trivial, but it's so essential that we guard against it. If we try to win only certain types of people to Christ, we're showing favoritism. God will not bless that type of attitude in us. And honestly, folks, I'm so thankful in this church that I've seen people from different races, from different backgrounds, and people have just loved them and accepted them. That's the way it has to be. And I don't question what we do as a church in that area, to be honest with you. It's one of the things that brought me to this church is when I came to church, everybody wasn't white. We had people from different races, different ethnic backgrounds we were in this church, and I appreciate that. It says a lot. But with that being said, I bet we all have prejudice that we need to work on. It may not manifest itself together, but it's in our heart, and we need to root it out. Favoritism is not consistent with the teachings of Jesus, and it shows a lack of mercy. As a Christian, this is one of the areas that we cannot be like the world. We can't be like them anyway, but this is one we can't be like the world. We have to love everyone. We might not like what they do, but we have to love them. Let's love people because Jesus did. If for no other reason, if you can't do it, you know, when I'm dealing with problem marriages, I will tell them, treat your spouse that's being horrible to you like Jesus would because Jesus tells you to. If you can't do it for any other reason, do it for that. And you might be surprised what happens. As Christians, we have to make sure that we rid ourselves of prejudice against any people, against any people group. Our application is that since we're all created in the image of God, we betray our faith in God when we show partiality within the body of Christ or throughout our lives. So our challenge is find it, pray about it, root it out, and you'll be a better person for it. This morning our praise team is going to come and lead us in a song of decision. And if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. God doesn't care what color you are, how tall you are, well, maybe, I don't know how tall you are, how good looking you are, you're not, how much money you've got in the bank. He doesn't care. He loves you for who you are. And he loves you so much for who you are that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. And if you need that wonderful gift this morning, we offer it to you. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. We could extend the right hand of Christian fellowship to you. And if you're struggling and you need prayer, if you'd like prayer myself or one of our elders, Roger, would be glad to pray with you. But if you have a decision, now's the time. As we sing our song of decision, let's stand together as we sing.
1: morning. It is really a pleasure to be here. Jeff, I like that sermon. It reached parts of me that need to look at the time and the cadence that I'm walking in and get back in step. Okay. Today, for the communion meditation, there's a word that the Savior freely gave each and every one of us, that lets us go free and become, even though we backslide, we still move in his grace. Grace is special. I don't know if even when I'm trying to be right with brother and sister Christians if I'm giving them anything close to grace just think about this when uh, you go out and you fall down and you get dirty in the mud you have to go through a whole process of getting everything cleaned up with grace the minute you request the love and grace of the Lord and start into repentance. You don't even have to fulfill the repentance. Grace takes place. When you look at it, the Apostle Paul gives us the word in 2 Corinthians twelve nine. This is from the uh, NIV Standard. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you my power is made perfect in weakness therefore I will boast all the more gladly and my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me as we meditate during the communion service Let those words go inside, and that Christian heart lead you in the direction that our Savior gave his life to bring you back home through grace. Let us pray. To our Father, you sent us here this bright day. We look forward to the love and the grace that we spoke about in this message, that each one of us is availed through the love of God to return to his bosom and live with Christ now on this earth and in the future forever and ever. May we all love and drink in the grace of the Lord. Thank you, God, and Father, bless us today. Amen.
0: In the inside of your bulletin, we have our announcements um, we'd like you to take note of. Jules' group is meeting on Tuesday. We have our Stitches of, Stitches of Love Monday. Um, the teen Bible studies going on. The adults don't until August. Um, we also have Roger's group meeting tonight. We have all of Jerry's groups meeting tonight. Singspiration is coming up next Sunday evening at 5 here at the church, and you can bring sandwiches, and um, that, that will be a help, and you can see information about that in the bulletin. We also have Operation Christmas Child is taking donations for school supplies and you can see some notes on that. And Sitges of Love is still looking for some participants that can help sew sundresses and shorts for the Operation Christmas Child boxes. Um, I think that's all the announcements we have. We had a good time on the drier than I thought trail yesterday but uh, we're going to go, our off-road group in, in, is giving you some advance notice in November, we're going on Fort Wachuca. So if you're planning on going that, you need to go to the Ford and get you a pass. So don't wait till the day before because it might be a little bit of a problem. But if you're planning on going with us on Fort Wachuca, I think the trail there from what I understand are pretty rough, which is awesome. So if you've got a truck that's not capable of doing that, you can ride with somebody else. But anyway, make sure you get that. I think that's all the announcements in the back of our bulletin. You have our prayer requests. Spa ladies had a great time and they were fortunate to be able to spend time together. Uh, we have a lot of people we've been praying for um, that are struggling with their health right now. Also, I don't know how many in this... Go ahead and go past that. Sorry about that. It was I forgot to pull that out. Where'd that come from? Anyway, uh, we, have, we have people um, who are... Um... I don't remember if you remember the Saltzmans. They, they came here a few years ago. Uh, they had like a dozen kids or maybe 13. I think it was 12. But anyway, Buffy, the mother, passed away yesterday and that was really sad Um, really really nice family i always enjoyed they made the youth group really big too just with the the one family but anyway and by the way they weren't adopted children they were all their children that they had biological i was like wow but anyway um buffy's buffy's with the lord so keep that family in your prayers we have troops who are deployed we're praying for operation christmas child we're focusing on the missions that we support this month and keep our shut-ins in your prayers so at this time, let's stand. I'll give you a moment to lift your heart up to the Lord and, and uh, pray it, and then I'll close us in a word of prayer, and the praise team will lead us out this morning. Father, we thank you for all the prayers that were lifted up to you, that you've heard. And Father, we uh, just are excited to see the results. Father, I pray this this morning as we leave this place, we do so with a heart of joy. And Lord, that we show love to everybody that we come in contact with because you love them yourself. yourself. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.
2: For joining us for church
1: this morning. Have a great week in the Lord, everybody.